I hired Uber drivers and I trained them to become medical laboratory assistants. So now they have a job for life. And people were like, they're not going to be able to do this. I was like, they're going to be able to do this. I was going to show them how. To be able to create anything new, you need to be in a position to be able to do that. We had a lot of family not feeling very well and being unwell when I was younger. So I was like, okay, can I do something to help them? So I went from biomedical scientist to the operations manager for King's College Hospital. And I was one of the youngest, the only female Asian to do that. We have the knowledge base. We are biomedical scientists. We could do something to help this. So the whole point is to make healthcare accessible and diagnostic blood testing accessible. You ready to record? Yes. Okay, so we're live with the BHQ. Today I've got with me Manjin Devak, who's the director of Bioma. They do diagnostic health checks through blood tests with fast and accurate results. If you're joining us for the first time, I'm Amma and this is the BHQ. And we're all about helping British Asians to succeed in business and as an entrepreneur. So let's jump in deep straight away. I'm curious, when you were growing up, what were your ambitions? What did you want to be? Honestly, I didn't know. So... I knew there was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to obviously contribute to society. I wanted to help people. That fundamentally, I knew I wanted to help people. I couldn't tell you back then, I knew exactly what I was going to do. You know, a lot of kids grow up and they're like, I'm going to be a nurse doctor. Something in the medical field did appeal to me. I knew in that kind of field, but I was always very curious. So I was like, okay, how do things work? And we had a lot of family not feeling very well and being unwell when I was younger. So I was like, okay, can I do something to help them? And then, you know, medicine's would come into the house and be like, okay, what does this do? Why does it do what it does? And how much of it does it help? And it became kind of a learned behavior. So then I kind of got drawn into that field. So you know, a lot of people get the pressure from their families about becoming a doctor or a dentist or something like that. Do you feel like it was more led from your curiosity? I was lucky. I didn't have that pressure. It's more curiosity on my part. I was like, I just wanted to know how I could help my family for one and just make people generally feel better. That was my genuine motivation. But then it's also my curiosity then led to, you know, my degree in computer science, my interest in business, because I wanted to do things a certain way. There was stuff that, you know, I'd always ask questions. So I'd be like, okay, this medicine's like this, or this person's not feeling because of this. Why is it that they have to go to a GP? Why do they have to go to a hospital? Why, why are they waiting in a hospital for so long? So that kind of motivated me to do things the way I have done them. So when you went into university and studied medicine, was it what you expected it to be? So I studied biomedicine. Biomedicine, yeah. Yeah, everybody thinks it's medicine. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. No, so my first day of uni, I think a PhD student came out and he was like, okay, this degree is accredited. I haven't got a clue what that meant. I was like, but that's great. That's good. And then they started going through basics of biology. First year for university students who are studying any kind of medicine or science is basically generic and it's all the same. And it's when you get into the second year and third year that you start developing a bit more of a understanding of what the job might involve. But with biomedicine in the UK and biomedicine in general, you need to gain a trainee biomedical science position afterwards to be able to get state registered. So there's kind of a whole pathway that you're not made aware of whilst you're doing the degree. So it was lab work, it was lab coats, it was experiments, but it was a lot more theory. But it's not quite what I expected. It wasn't bad. Well, so, you, so you enjoyed that? Even I did though, enjoy yeah. it. From there, you then went on to do like a long career in biomedicine, right? Amongst other things. I was a medical laboratory assistant at King's when I just, before I graduated my first degree. Literally, I'd gone into the lab and I was like, okay, I'm going to be here two weeks. Basically, when you come out of university first time, you're like, oh God, is this it? Is this work? I progressed. As I progressed over the years, it, you know, from medical laboratory assistant, I was a temp and then I became permanent and then training biomedical scientist and then biomedical scientist. At that point, when I reached biomedical science level, I thought, okay, what do I want to do? Where, what level do I want to get at? You know, some people are happy being biomedical scientists, BMS1s or 2s, slightly senior, for the rest of their career. They're happy with that. And I was like, okay, this is a career for me. It's not just a job. 
okay, career-wise, I want to see how much of an impact I can make. And I know I need to become the chief scientist or I need to become the operations manager. In order to be able to do that, I looked at pathology as a whole. So diagnostic testing as a whole. I was like, okay, we have the IT bit, we have the quality bit, the health and safety bit, and the actual management bit. So I then, computer science, I decided to get my master's in computer science. I hadn't got a clue about programming at all. But I was like, why can't it be done? And at that same time, I enrolled in my MBA. So I decided to do both together. Distance learning whilst mm. working full time. And How was that? Work. It's not the norm to be done. But I was like, why can't I do it? And it was manageable. And it became quite enjoyable. Because it was like literally organising yourself. So I need to do that piece of coursework. I need to do that one. I'm working on call. I might get called at two o'clock in the morning to go and test a donut sample. I'll come back home and then I've got a full day's work. But I can, it kind of fits. The bit after it was all done was a bit like, now what do I do? But I knew I needed to do that in order to be able to get into, even get into an interview to become the operations manager. I knew I needed to have the education and the backing. As you progress through the biomedical like, career pathway, mm. Where did you kind of get to and what was the outcome of that like hard work you'd done? You obviously you did get those roles that you wanted. I skipped a grade. So I went from biomedical scientist to the operations manager for King's College Hospital. So I became their yeah, operations manager for infection sciences. And I was one of the youngest, the only female Asian to do that. And it was incredible. It was amazing. It, to be able to then manage the team that you've kind of grown up with and to be able to help make their lives better and make their roles better and just for them to then turn to you and say okay you know what if you've done it we can do it too and then want to stay there for longer and then I, you know the pandemic happened and it was a good time to be a virologist the funny thing was so I gained my specialist virology diploma whilst I was the operations manager it's usually not done that way usually you go from like the junior scientist you get that diploma to become the senior so when the assessor came in he was so confused. <laughs> it was hilarious. But again, even he said, why can't it be done this way? What was the actual impact that you're actually studying in the work you're doing? What was that making itself? So virology is a very small discipline. It's very specialised. So it includes, you know, basic screening for influenza to all the stuff like HIV. So at King's College Hospital, they're one of the major virology uh, diagnostic centres in the country. So the impact of them being motivated and them being happy to be there, them having those skills that, so some of these people were, you know, junior staff, but some of these people had been there before I'd born. <laughs> and they were really amazing at their jobs and they had helped train me. So they're very, very intelligent people. They're amazing. So to be able to then guide them to make their lives easier, to then contribute to the field of virology, especially during the pandemic, and this wasn't our only pandemic as a team. We've been through like five different pandemics as a team. And to then help them on a personal level and on a professional level to the point where, you know, they were so happy to be there. That was the best. And I couldn't have done that unless I had reached that position. Because again, being in the healthcare infrastructure, being in that kind of environment, you are very kind of led by what's already established. To be able to create anything new, you need to be in a position to be able to do that. So that's where I knew I needed to get there. And then once I got there, I always felt like I needed to be able to do more. So that's, yeah, what's happened. During the pandemic in the UK and like, well, global pandemic of coronavirus, how did that affect your role? Because obviously you were at the forefront of that and you worked with the different COVID test centres as well, right? And you did quite a major impact there. What was your role in that situation? So myself and my team at Kings, including like my co-founder for Bioma, Yazalina Zafi, came up with a testing method for the UK for COVID testing. So the virus, obviously... It's our specialism. We have Dr. Mark Zuckerman, Dr. Melvin Smith. So we have a really good team there, amazing people. We had to come up with a testing method to be able to high throughput COVID testing, which was both accurate, sensitive enough and timely enough. There's no point in giving people a result when it's 
you know, too late for any kind of intervention to happen. Plus, to be able to control and try and control and spread, you know, reduce the spread of the virus, we had to kind of mobilise very quickly. So within 24 hours, we had a live test that we could then give to the government because we were asked to, to set up in all the major lighthouse centres within the UK. And then we were also asked to help with the mega lab in Leamington Spa, which is 10,000 tests that were just processing per day. So now, obviously, surveillance testing, we've had quite a big hand in that. A lot of people listening, they might think they've got a lot of pressure at their jobs. Yeah. But then if you're kind of tasked with finding a test that's going to help like millions of people and it's really life or death, how is it working in that kind of environment? Because obviously it's a, one hand it's a challenge, but there's so much at risk there. There's so much at risk, but you're never doing it alone. You have a team. You know, if it doesn't work, what should we do? There's always that kind of excitement about adapting, changing. We did have a process, you know, point during the pandemic where the kit manufacturers and the supply chain issues were ridiculous. And they changed a component of the test kit. And that component led to sensitivity issues. But as a team, we were able to then adjust the kind of formulations and stuff like that to be able to then bring back the sensitivity. Mm. So you will always find that in science anyway. You'll find that in anything you do, you have to adapt because nothing will stay consistent. It's stressful, but it's also exciting because you know you can do something about it and you know you have to do something about it. There's a lot of, there's weight of responsibility, but then you're in a position of responsibility for a reason because you've shown some sort of characteristic or motivation to be able to want to do something about it. So yes, stressful, but you have that responsibility it's it does become fun in a weird way because you're like okay you know we're gonna have to figure a way to do this someone thinks that we can do this we think we can do it why not let's say somebody listening right now is like hoping that one day they can that kind of a role right yeah. where in these high pressure environments but they're also like i imagine some people can be nervous about stepping into that kind of role that you had because there's a lot of pressure on that what advice would you give them like how would they put themselves in that position and be able to take that risk that you did i'm not gonna lie to you so i remember as soon as i got that position I was actually working on the Saturday there and I was walking down the corridor and I realized, okay, I'm going to be the manager of all this. And I was younger and I was a bit kind of like, okay, wow. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> but I was like, why not? You will feel the weight of it. You will. But then the weight also kind of motivates you a bit more to say, okay, I can do this. I can make that network within my organization to say okay if I need someone to help with this you don't have to do everything yourself so if I need someone to help with HR yes I'll speak to HR manager that kind of ensure confidence that you may not have but eventually it will come to you you'll get comfortable you'll be able to say okay I know who to talk to I know who to speak to I know how to put them together and always feedback from your team there are things that they want to say and sometimes they don't feel comfortable saying them or they just feel like they've said things and they've spawned on deaf ears and it's just not working. So speak with them because they, your team will help you grow. Your team will help you feel confident in what you're doing. And if there's something you're doing that isn't working and isn't conducive to your role, they will tell you. And that's what you need. You need those people around you, that kind of supportive structure. And you will build that. If you feel intimidated by something that you want and you don't know how to get there, break it down to little steps and say, OK, I knew I needed to get these degrees. To, for anyone to even look at me for a management position, I needed this education. And longevity wise, I knew in this profession, it's never just going to be health diagnostics, blood tests all the time. It's going to be tech. It's going to be management. It's going to be business. It's going to be all this kind of stuff around it. And I needed to have a knowledge base in each of it to be able to inform, to be able to speak confidently about it. And 
it kind of piqued my interest. So do that research, say, okay, I need to do these kind of things. I need to speak to these kind of people. Because management is responsibility. People need to understand that. It, it's not, I am in this position, I have power. It's not power, it's responsibility. Like, you're responsible for a lot of people, for a lot of different things. They will come to you and they will confide in you about what's helping, you know, helping them tick, what's motivating them, what's demotivating them. They'll, you know, confide in you. That's a lot of responsibility. You want to help them. You obviously keep, you know, professional limits, but you also want to make sure that they are happy because you spend most of your time at work anyway. So, you know, my team was always happy and that was, that made me feel good. And it helped me stay in that position. It helped me develop that position and change it into something new. I was like, this is what an operations manager needs to be, what a chief scientist should be. Someone that's approachable, someone that's, you know, science isn't just in the background, pathology just is in the background. We're trying to make an impact. People need to know we exist. So how many people are you in charge of, like, just to give people an idea of the scale? So virology was around, it started off around, so when I first got there, we were chronically over, like, short-staffed, right? So we had about 18 people and then it grew over the pandemic, obviously it was like 80 people from different industries. So during the pandemic, I know, you know, people in different industries who were losing their jobs. So I hired Uber drivers and those people I knew that were going to lose their jobs and I trained them to become medical laboratory assistants. So now they have a job for life. Wow. I remember being at the like airflow cabinet teaching them how to do pipetting and people were like, they're not going to be able to do this. I was like, they're going to be able to do this. I was like, going to show them how. So now they're amazing. Those people are amazing. They're in those positions. They've been at King since I left a couple of years ago. And they've moved themselves up into procurement positions, different positions within the healthcare industry. So they're still contributing. But now they have careers. As I as you mentioned there, you left King's a couple of years ago. Yeah. What was behind that decision? Where did you go on to? So with King's, I got to a point where I felt like I'd done everything I needed to do. I'd become, you know, their ops manager. There wasn't anywhere else to go. So then private pathology, I had no experience of private pathology in the UK. So I was like, okay, so Eurofins Diagnostics, they approached and they asked for help setting up their COVID test labs and their clinical diagnostic pathway in the UK. And I was like, I can do that. Like, let me go and try and build a laboratory from scratch. And we um, traveled across the country, helping them set up their, you know, diagnostic pathologies. A lot of that work was changing whatever the lab was doing previously into something new so for example forensics had to switch to COVID testing that's very different so training those people to be able to do that so it's interesting and they were able to do a lot more because their resources were a lot more than the NHS. So you got the taste of the private sector there and seeing how obviously you said where I guess you got less checks and balances or less bureaucracy maybe which means that you can get more done with the resources you had as well and how long after that was it when you set up Bioma? So within six months. So the idea was always there. So during the COVID pandemic, obviously there was a lot of laboratories mobilising. A lot of people who had no scientific experience or kind of went in healthcare were just setting up COVID labs. As a business, obviously healthcare is a business. There should be an ethical motivation behind it, always. Within six months of being at Eurofins, I was like, okay, you know what, I can build a laboratory. There's a different kind of way we can do things. So the idea was always there. Once I left Eurofins, within six months, I had obtained the funding. What was the actual step you took there, right? Because you had, you, know, you mentioned your co-founder earlier. What was the step? It's like, okay, we're going to do this. And then what happened next? Like, how was that decision? What was the, I guess, the turning point for that decision to do it together as well? So me and my co-founder, we have worked together for since King's many, many years. He was a training officer. He helped me become state registered biomedical scientist, one of the best scientists in the country. It was him. It was our clinical director, Dr. Mark Zuckerman from King's. He was also, and Dr. Melvin Smith. So we, we come as a team. 
And we always kind of, no matter where we are, we're always talking to each other. To you know, different types of, in the scientific community, just different types of things that are coming out. What do we think of this? You know, we always meet up and we talk about it. It got to a point where in private pathology, again, I'd got to that stage where their labs were set up, they were running. And it was like, now what? It kept getting to the stage of now what? I've, I always feel like I'm not done. So I was like, okay, we can do this. There's a different way of doing this. It should be more accessible to people. So then it became about what does the community need? Okay, there was a backlog post-COVID, very kind of into the second lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, we were sitting there and we were chatting and we were like, okay, COVID will wane. It will become one of those routine viruses that is part of our, you know, yearly cycle. You'll get the flu, you'll get norovirus, you'll get COVID. Okay, it's going to get to that stage. Post-COVID, what happens? Post-COVID, we have locked down our healthcare infrastructure. We don't have people attending appointments. There's going to be a massive backlog. What can we do? And what is the NHS going to be able to cope with? And what are the private pathologies that have opened up that are just doing COVID testing going to be able to cope with? We have the knowledge base. We are biomedical scientists. We could do something to help this. So that was that switch. We're like, okay, what do we need to get there? And I was speaking to someone at work, um, one of the other managers at work. And we were talking about funding. We are talking about different types. So this guy, he was the financial director of many, many companies including i think some biscuit manufacturer so he's like have you thought about angel investment nope <laughs> i had to google it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and even then it was still about okay what would we need to have this kind of business what mm. we need a building or do we want to do a mobile lab do we want to have a lab in a van so there was a lot of brainstorming of different types of ideas how much would we need because it, you know equipment during covid obviously the prices were inflated and then people trying to sell off that equipment afterwards we want brand new what testing would we go with first? What, you know, all that kind of research went into it. And then it was it was very kind of quick. It was hmm. a quick pitch deck. I find if you spend too much time overthinking something, you yeah. overwork it and you're not able to explain it correctly or you're not be able to, you start doubting your own ideas. Mm-hmm. So came together, I did a pitch deck quickly, put it on an angel investment website and then was very lucky in the sense that people just kind of latched onto the idea. And then again, on the other end, where you're then skimming all these kind of interests all these kind of messages looking at who's kind of going to actually help you or is is intimidating mm-hmm. but i did find you know i've recruited thousands of people which, which angel platform was it of interest because some people listening right now might be trying to raise money the angel investment network so there's actually an angel investment network platform literally you upload your pitch deck and fill in all the information and then see what happens that money that you then took on board right so you've got the idea you've got the team You've now got the money and then now you need to execute, right? Yeah. How is it from going from being where you're working for somebody else to now being the one who's completely in charge? Was there any differences in the way you worked or things that you now have to consider that you didn't have to consider before? There were things like, for example, you obviously you need to purchase the building or you need to take on a lease, those kind of things. So there was very kind of material things that you needed to consider, electric, electricity suppliers and all that kind of stuff you need to think of. Besides that, again, recruitment's the same. HR is the same, those processes, but the fact that you get to build those processes yourself rather than following something that someone's already got in place is very different. So it's like, okay, in an ideal world, and you can spend too much time overthinking this, how would I want HR to run? How would I want my recruitment process to run? So we're fully compliant, but it's easier. You know, what kind of internal IT system do I want? How am I going to make sure I'm regulatory compliant with everything in the easiest way possible? Or is there a new way of doing things? So, you know, you'll go from NHS, they do it one way, private pathology does it another way you've had exposure to both can you create a hybrid solution you'll find you do get caught up a lot in the fact that you think you can create something brand new you don't have to create everything brand new 
there's a lot of stuff already out there that you can use and then you can improve over time because um, there's a lot of stuff you'll buy in and over time you will need to change anyway. You'll need to adapt. So never kind of fall into the trap of thinking, okay, I've got this and now I've got it for the next 10 years. No, because you'll spend, you'll waste a lot of time overthinking, overanalyzing. All I would suggest to everybody is build your team and make sure you have reliable and kind of people that you can just feed off of or kind of bounce ideas from. Once you have that, everything moves very quickly. Besides that, things to consider, if you've been in any kind of management role, you'll understand that you do manage everything, not just the people. You do manage all the little bits, the maintenance, the um, suppliers, the supply chain, all that kind of stuff. So you mentioned there about picking the right people, right? And yeah. how important it is. How do you pick the right people, right? Because everybody knows how important it is. And even what we're doing right now, right? I'm trying to, I'm interviewing people, trying to get the right people on board. But obviously it's very difficult to sell from an interview process. How do you know that you've got the right people on board so that people listening can make sure that they get the right people too? They have to be the people you can work with. So you know yourself, who can you work with? Because you're going to be all working towards the same goal. So can you communicate with that person effectively? Is that the kind of person that you'll be happy to see every day and you will be able to speak to quite openly and discuss with? And would they feed into the same goal that you have? That's all you need to know. Obviously, I went to bio myself, got my test done. Mm. And I could see you guys like laughing about together and things like that. And having a bit of a laugh. And sometimes at my expense, which I won't hold a grudge against. You can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's it, you can't. That's it. Like you. We kind of stabbed you with the needle, so it's all right. Yeah, yeah. So, but what I could, I could see the evidence of that, right? So me just walking in there as a patient to test it out, see what it's about. And I could just hear you in the reception, like, Everybody like laugh, making jokes. I won't expose your jokes and your poor humor. Oh, but <laughs> got nothing to throw at you. <laughs> so how so how long has it been now? Since when when exactly did um, Bioma start? So we officially opened end of January. And what's the progress been since then? So since the end of January, we've grown our team. We've grown our skill set. We've got a collection site in Knightsbridge, and we have a collection site in Birmingham as of couple of weeks ago and we're working with a lot of good kind of health clubs and gyms and we're meeting a lot of people because there's health is obviously attributable to every industry there's a lot we can do so it's it's still going we're thinking of new ways to do things so the whole point is to make healthcare accessible and diagnostic blood testing accessible the number of people that come to us and just ask for a blood test <laughs> and they don't know what blood test so we've gone into that CPD educational aspect. We've applied to the Institute of Biomedical Sciences to become accredited to be able to train our own scientists. So we're doing a lot of different things. And like, let's say, obviously, making healthcare accessible is such a huge goal. What would you see like in, say, five years time? Where would you really hope that Bioma has got to? So we need to have at least one clinic in every major city within the country. And that's within five years. Beyond five years, we need to be everywhere in terms of training we need to be creating a new healthcare infrastructure which supports the NHS. We're not here to replace. And again, there's a lot of new tech coming out, health tech. We can feed into that. We can feed biomarker data into that so people can have a lot more autonomy for their health. They can literally look at their app or look at their phone to see what's happening. So where people feel a bit more empowered to look after themselves, it's all about proactive healthcare. And as much as we can do within the next five years to be able to promote that, we we're happy to travel internationally to bring in tech from everywhere else, bring in health you know, kits and everything from anywhere just to see what we can do to support what we have here and to help improve things. So we're running out of time now, but I know that you do a lot more than just Bioma as well, right? So from what I know, so you design computer games. You're on the board of a football club. Yeah. 
And there's a million other things that you told me that I've probably forgotten. So like, I've forgotten as well. Yeah, <laughs> like, w- I guess what I want to hear is like the range of different things you can do while also achieving what you've done in the medical field. But just showcasing to people listening that you can be hyper successful in one field, but also have those hobbies in other areas or even hobbies because it's also making an impact in different areas at once. Yeah. Could you give us a quick like overview of that? Okay, so I'm on the board of Royal Southwark FC. And again, it's also feeding into the fact that there's people that want to be football players. And, you know, unfortunately, they end up on the pitch and they collapse because they have an undiagnosed condition. This is about trying to feed into that kind of health care infrastructure into sports and say okay fine we'll do a blood work analysis you may find something but you you know we'll help you support you to find another career within the football industry that you can still do you can still be part of something you love but we can find another way for you to do it so that's something that's a passion project there's also some charities i work with because there's a lot of people that need help there's a lot of people that come to us for you know help guidance and support and any way we can find to do that i find that enjoyable you can do a lot of different things if you i've said this to my team all the time if you want to speak to someone there's nothing stopping you you know obviously be polite be courteous be you know give them information never kind of force yourself on someone but there's nothing never hesitate why why would you hesitate anyone's capable of anything you just have to try and you start building up this resilience, which allows you to bring on more staff and be able to do more. And I think you only get one life, you should. So who are three British Asians you'd love to shout out? Okay, Devinder Singh, he's the OBE. He's um, the CEO of the Edwardian Hotels in London. He's a, one of the um, country's first Sikh uh, billionaires. James Khan, obviously, recruitment. And he was on Dragon's Den. The fact that he's still doing a lot to support people, amazing. And there is Ade Hassan, who's gone into energy, bulb. Very nice. So... Next one is if people listening right now could reach out to you for help or guidance. Yeah, of course. What should they reach out about? Anything they need to help with, basically. But it, anything kind of business related or anything when they're starting up, if they need some help or guidance on how to do things. People get overwhelmed with pitch decks, I think, a lot. And they overwork them or they overdo them. And on the flip side, is there anything that you need help with or by you need help with right now? We just want people to be more aware of their health and be a bit more proactive. We don't, you know, wherever you get tested, just make sure you get tested and you keep on top of it. Please look after yourselves. Thanks so much for coming on today. And thank you for testing me as well. But have you got any final words to the audience? I just want to say to everyone, just try and be motivated. And there are industries that you don't have to just stay in one industry. You don't have to just stay in one field. And if you aspire to do something uh, rather than be something, then do that. So you want you aspire to do a million other things, different industries, different things. Just try. And you will build that resilience and um, it could turn into something massive. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. It makes a huge amount to us. And we don't think you realise how important you are. Because if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, if you leave us a five-star review, it makes a world of difference. And if you believe in what we're trying to do here, to inspire, connect and guide the next generation British Asians, if you do those things, you can help us achieve that mission. And you can help us make a bigger impact. And by doing that, it means we can get bigger guests, we can host more events, we can do more for the community. So you can play a huge part. So thank you so much for supporting us.